Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my colleague Jay Shabbat to discuss Delta's third quarter results and the view that travel is counter-cyclical and the situation at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. Please enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Ned, happy earnings season to you and yours. Happy earnings season to you, Jay. It, uh, Delta Airlines kicked us off uh, yesterday, Thursday, October 13th, with uh, some impressive numbers. Uh, they turned a solid nearly $700 million profit in the, in the third quarter. Revenues were up uh, 11% compared to 2019. It was all said a, a good time for Delta. Yeah, and, and the, the revenues were actually record, all-time record uh, for, for the quarter. And that's kind of the story is that you know revenues have never been higher. But costs are already elevated too. And just to put some numbers for you for comparison's sake, uh, Delta's operating margin, which is kind of a good way to compare different airlines, it was 11% um, this this past quarter and the one they just reported. Um, if you go uh, the same quarter, so Q3 of 2019, it was 16%. So they're not quite in margin terms back to where they were. But yeah, you have to have to say that's encouraging. I mean, anytime anytime an airline earns a double digit margin, that's success. Absolutely. And you know, while we're talking about revenues being up eleven percent, costs were up more than that. So go to your comment on margins. You know, there's still pressure out there, and and CEO Ed Bastian highlighted it that they still have high fuel prices, inflation pressures, all labor staffing situation is still ongoing. So there's still a lot of thing pressures for them, but. Record revenues are not something to uh, to you know put down. That's that really is a great story for airlines, especially considering how far they've come back in the last two years. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's um, the, re- the revenue story is 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 very positive. Uh, it's it's not just leisure demand too. Business revenues are pretty much just as good as they were in 2019. The, the About volumes 80%, are not there. Oh, it's volumes that were, okay. Volumes are, mm-hmm. are 80% of 2019, right? Right. So the volumes are not all the way back, but the revenue pretty much is. And I don't have Delta's number off the top of my head, but they. Uh, but that's kind of general. Qantas, for example, said this, uh, this week um, that their business revenues are ahead of 2019. Their leisure, <laughs> leisure revenues are way ahead of 2019. So I think that's just domestic, but but anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of the picture. And just to give you one number on the cost side, um, and keep in mind there are a couple of things. Uh, it's the fuel costs, as you mentioned, Ned. It's also labor costs are up. Um, you know, just pretty much all costs when we're living in this new era of inflation here. Um, and then we also have this kind of problem where uh, airlines are not utilizing their assets as intensely as they would like. So that suboptimal utilization is a real drag on on unit costs when you divide the cost by the total number of you know miles that these uh, airlines are flying. It's you start to get a get a pretty high uh, you know seat mile cost. So that's that's a big problem too. Just getting the planes you know running as much as you'd like. Um, just one number for you. So this uh, quarter, uh, third quarter that Delta just reported, they paid an average fuel price. Of three dollars and fifty-three cents per gallon. That's three fifty-three. In Q3 of 2019, they paid uh, an average fuel price of one dollar and ninety-six cents. So you can see a, a dramatic difference. Absolutely, no, it's it's uh, <laughs> that is definitely pressure. But you know, the thing that jumped out to me the most during Delta's call is you know, given all the talk about a recession in the U.S., a recession in the EU. Delta CEO at Bastion came out and said travel is really, he views it as counter-cyclical to 
the economic situation. And he cited a uh, 10 to 20 billion, was it, dollar gap between where travel typically is in comparison to GDP and where it is today. So, it, I mean, he is bullish that there's a lot of upside still to be had. And it doesn't matter if the economy contracts and, and we go into recession. People still want to travel and people will travel is, is basically what he's saying. That's the message. Yeah, they um, they said they're already kind of starting to get bookings trickling in for next spring. And that looks good. Transatlantic just seems like it's firing on all cylinders. And and probably the most surprising thing uh, that, that Delta said was, it's not just the U.S. passenger, you know, Americans taking advantage of a strong dollar. Even the European point of sale um, is seems to be okay too, uh, which is you know surprising given uh, you know the, the cost of travel is just becomes very expensive when you're buying it in dollars and you're paying in euros or whatever. So that's uh, yeah, it's just it's just a really great demand picture overall. And then of course you've got you know I think Asia starting to come back. Um, Korea, I believe he said was, was positive. Australia was positive. Latin America is starting to kind of gain traction. So even the international is, is pretty good. Uh, keep in mind though, that overall capacity for Delta in ASM terms is still down 17% versus 2019, the right. last quarter. And in the fourth so, quarter, um, we'll only recover to about down eight or 9%. So they still have a ways to go. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I think they said by next summer, they'd like to have it back. To, so that you know, was back an interesting point. They said they said full network recovery, but I went through the transcript and they didn't say full capacity recovery. So uh, okay, I'm I'm wondering if yeah, if I wonder if there's going to be a slate. You know, it's still going to be down a few points or not. It, it's not clear. And a few of the analysts in their initial takes on the earnings noted that Delta will talk. They talked about 2023. They didn't give any specific numbers. So. It remains to be seen what full network recovery means. What that means, yeah. And and as they as they kind of add back capacity and re- recover what they used to fly, it's uh, interesting. They noted this in the call, and then I look, I kind of looked this up in uh, Deal by Sirium, um, where we can look at the seat capacity numbers. Uh, they're sort of what we call mid-continent hubs: your Atlanta's, your Minneapolis's, Detroit. Those are still down very heavily. So this quarter. October, December quarter, um, Atlanta down 13% versus same quarter of 2019. Minneapolis down 18%. Detroit down 25%. That was that kind of Asia story. I think we mentioned that in another recent podcast. But um, then you have your coastal hubs, JFK, Los Angeles, Seattle, Boston. That stuff is either down much less, like marginally, or even in some cases up, like Boston's up 11%. uh, Seattle's up, you know, marginally. So that's going to be a priority is growing um, their mid-continent hubs. And frankly, that's where they make the most money. So, you know, absolutely. When you, a lot of, Glenn, yeah. Glenn Howenstein said 75% of 2023 growth will be focused on those four core hubs, as they describe them, mid-continent hubs. And yes, um, mm-hmm. speaking to that, I thought it was really interesting when he talked about how Delta actually let go of some of the flow traffic it traditionally carried over those hubs, particularly in the Southeast. Now, he didn't name names, but we know there's only really one other carrier that competes for flow traffic in the Southeast, and that's American Airlines. And uh, he said 2023, they're going out there and they're targeting directly, you know, getting those passengers back on some of those flow routes over Atlanta. So Delta has American in its sights, even if it's not saying as much. Good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that when when they talked about that, but that that's a very good point. Um, and Atlanta is, you know, 
probably the most profitable hub in the whole world, certainly the most profitable hub for Delta. So as they grow that back and theoretically kind of win back some of those passengers, you would expect that would, you know, kind of add to uh, add to Delta's margins. So it'd be, you know, margin positive. Absolutely. I mean, Delta, I've got to I've got to give it to them. I mean, I remember you know, I'm from Richmond and you know, operating eight or nine frequencies a day on on you know, mainline 737s, even 757s between Richmond and Atlanta. I mean, they do so much flow over Atlanta. And it's, you know, that's something that has really been missing from their recovery. Atlanta is a machine. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Jay, was there anything else in Delta's earnings that jumped out at you? No, I think overall, the bottom line is that they had a, a good quarter, but we're still not back to in terms of margins kind of where where they quite want to be um you know what things were looking like in 2019 you know whether they can do that in an environment with such elevated fuel prices um maybe because they're you know i think revenues elevated as well uh, but that'll be the challenge is you know get, getting back to uh the same level of margins as they were you know pre-pandemic so they're not not quite there yet absolutely and that's going to take a little while sorry i am going to make one more point they mentioned during the call that uh, the regional, the pilot shortage in the U.S. And, and its impact on regional capacity is likely to last into uh, 2024, 2025. So, I mean, that's another example of, of something of it's going to take longer than, you know, more than a year to, to fully come back. And and Delta will be able to recover some of that capacity. They they mentioned having the A220 and the 717, uh, which are 100 seaters, quote unquote, because they, they have slightly more seats than that. But um they can fit into that segment, whereas other airlines are be down. But that's that's going to be a lag. You know, flying a mainline aircraft where you otherwise would fly an E-175 uh, has higher costs. It also has higher revenue potential, but it has higher costs. So that's another drag we're going to see for a little while as they continue to cover. Anyway, mm-hmm. Jay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about Schiphol in Amsterdam. Hey, Jay, we're back. So you wrote an interesting feature for Airline Weekly last week, looking at the situation in Schiphol and with KLM's big hub there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so KLM this year is just really having a very strong year relative to other airlines in Europe. And that's that's not a huge surprise. I mean, they were always kind of a high margin airline. In fact, you can just you know go back <laughs> since since the dawn of time, really. And uh, KLM has always outperformed uh, Air France, and the two merged together in whatever it was, two thousand four, two thousand five. So um, they KLM has always been much more profitable. It's still that way today. Um, KLM was, in fact, the of, of all the publicly traded airlines um, that disclosed KLM's operating margin was highest in Europe of, of any other, even higher than Ryanair's, even higher than Swiss, which is another one that tends to outperform. Um, so things, you know, it's, you're sitting there in Amsterdam thinking, well, things are going well, but on the horizon are some rather disconcerting, uh, trends and developments. And the one being, as you kind of alluded to is, uh, Amsterdam airport is, uh, capping the number of flights, uh, at the airport, I believe capping the number of passengers. And then the government will actually cap the number of flights starting next November, um, and the cap is rather low. So KLM is going to be facing this situation where it's going to be very difficult for them to grow. Um, any kind of growth is going to have to come through volume growth. So maybe through lo- lo- larger aircraft, higher load factors, and load factors are pretty high. Um, so that 
starts to become a problem. And you have to wonder, you know, if you're Air France KLM, you know, where does the growth come from? Do you grow in Paris? Well, Paris does have room to grow, but it's also a lower margin uh, hub for them, higher cost. You can grow Transavia, which is sort of a low cost carrier. They've been growing that a lot from Paris right. to Orly and other places. Um, and then, you know, the the next question is, well, do you grow through consolidation? Do you buy Tapper Portugal or, you know, do you, do you buy uh, whoever else is, you know, Airways as they're, as they're hoping to soon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, you know, that's kind of the dilemma that they face. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting situation for KLM because, like you said, they are such a powerhouse airline. And you made a good point in your story just about, you know, it's, the, the Schiphol hub has really benefited the Netherlands. It's it's helped their economy. They've created a, a you know world leading airline, but uh, this this these caps and new fees that are planned kind of you know it's do they kill the goose that laid the golden egg kind of thing, like the exact uh, example you used. So it's it, it comes down to this split. You know we've got this pressure for economic recovery and growth. And then you mentioned the story about there's also increasing pressure with governments to cut carbon emissions. You almost wish that you would see, you know, more emphasis on pushing sustainable fuels and whatnot, and rather and, le- and uh, less on capping capacity and flights through Schiphol as the hub comes back, because it's uh, it could be really detrimental to KLM. Uh, but I mean, it, it matters what the government policy is there. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I think a lot of places in the world are grappling with this conundrum is, you know, there's there are sometimes trade-offs between economic growth and environmental protection. And in this case, it's not just um, protecting against climate change, but also just some local environmental issues like, you know, quality of life issues. I think a lot of local resident, residents just don't want so many tourists. They don't want so much noise. So there's, you know, there, there are trade-offs. And you know, I'd have I guess to say, what... I'd have to say, if if people don't want visitors, I mean, capping the number of flights <laughs> is not going to stop visitors from coming. People will find a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to get to Amsterdam, you'll, you'll get there. Uh, you're probably right. So, uh, yeah, and you know, there's still some, I'm sure, legal recourse uh, that KLM can take. Probably, you can sue to stop the flights, or potentially, you know, another government gets elected and reverses the policy. So, you know, we never know for sure. If this how this is going to play out, but you'd have to think, you know, in the planning department at KLM, there's there's some concern there, and you know, can we make this hub work? I mean, Amsterdam Schiphol is just a fantastic hub. I mean, it's just geographically, it's very well positioned. Uh, you know, the costs are reasonable. The costs are going up, though. They're 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 you know, the airport is is raising costs um, significantly. And I, it's they, funny you mentioned yeah. the geographic position of Schiphol. I had a former colleague who lived in Northern England, and he would always tell me that you know, even though they lived in England, KLM was their airline because you know Schiphol is essentially the hub of all those secondary points in England that it makes no sense to you know they don't they don't have or it makes little sense to fly to Heathrow. They they all went through Schiphol, and I kind of laughed at that. But if you look at it, it really is. It's just this major connecting point for so many small places that otherwise wouldn't have you know otherwise lack connections to the global airline system. Absolutely, because Heathrow is not the great connecting hub, and because of the congestion, the slot constraints, and whatnot. Um, so that, yeah, it's it's second you know secondary cities in Britain absolutely use Amsterdam and the hub. It's not that different from how India uses Dubai as a hub um, because their own airports are either congested or don't have the service. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
yeah, they also get a lot of Scandinavian traffic, German traffic. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great hub. Um, and I think it's the busiest hub in Europe right now. I think when the, during the pandemic, some of the other bigger hubs like Frankfurt and London and Paris have kind of shrank a lot. So you have to check, but if you check like the Euro control publishes these numbers, you know, the actual flights, uh, per month or whatever. And, uh, last I checked Amsterdam was number one. Wow. I mean, that's, that's something yep. that says something about the power of a hub. And I, yeah. I believe it. I remember speaking to Peter Elbers, uh, KLM's former CEO, and, and he talked about how during the pandemic, they really focused on maintaining their network by maintaining connectivity. You know, they subtracted a lot of frequency, but they, they really maintain most of the destinations by just, you know, being able to connect it through that Skipple hub. And, It'd be it'd be sad to to see a lot of that go. Oh, and one of the things you mentioned in your piece was there's what twenty destinations that KLM said they might have to cut if if these caps uh, come into play. Was that was that correct? That's what they're threatening. I mean, you don't know uh, if that's will exactly play out that way, but they're kind of going to the government and saying, you know, look, if you put these caps on, the Netherlands is going to lose service to this city and that city and this city, and you know, a little bit. You know, typical hyperbole, you know, you, you want to make a worst case scenario to the government, even if, if it's doubtful. I think exactly. Boston was on the list. I'm like, are they really going to cancel Boston flights? I doubt <laughs> that. But. Yeah, it's it's maybe not, maybe not. But uh, yeah, they're, they're a little bit, little, perhaps use of scare tactics is what they're doing. But 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 no, I mean, it's it's legit that uh, they probably would have to, uh, you know, scale back the hub um, if you catch a flight, because I believe and um may take me a second to pull up the numbers here but i believe the flight cap is back i'm just going to take a guess here you guys can our listeners can check in, in our last issue because we have a we have a graph showing the actual numbers over time but i if memory serves i believe the cap that's going to be instituted next year takes amsterdam skipple back to 2014 levels of, of so it's you know you're it's a definitely a regression <laughs> you're going yeah. you're yeah no, it sounds like it. Did um in your research, did you see any indication that about what the expectation is for next summer, or is it too early to say? No one's really guiding to what what you know capacity levels will be. Yeah, I don't think there's. The, it's a little bit too early to see published schedules for the summer. We'll have to see if there's uh you know any kind of cutbacks or anything. Um, the now remember it is it's November twenty twenty three, so next summer it won't be an issue. It'll be the summer of 2024 where you'll start if i believe i have that correct ah um, right does that right. sound right yeah unless unless i'm confusing no but i believe that's correct yeah november 2023 so it wouldn't be until the summer season and, and ned's referencing the summer because that's the you know when most of these airlines make their most money in europe right and um, when most yeah. of the flight, you know, during winter airlines generally operate their schedules anyway so it's uh, exactly it's the airlines will be pressure. happy They'll be happy to cut back in the winter, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, yeah, given the demand we talked about that Delta seeing, who knows if they want to cut back, but that's another story. Right, right, right. Now, there's, I guess the one thing we neglected to mention was that there is this other smaller airport uh, called Lelystad. Um, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but they are considering kind of opening that for low-cost flights, you know, perhaps throws Transavia in there, maybe some charter operators. But they, the government said they're not going to make a decision on that until 2024. So no, you know, if if anyone was expecting that to provide relief, um, that's at that, that point is kind of you know it's sort of on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. 
Excellent, Jay. Well, it's lots going on in the airline world, as we expect. I'd also, uh, before we sign off, I'd like to invite our listeners to check out the Skift Aviation Forum, which is being held in person for the first time in Dallas on November 16th. You can find more about that on the Airline Weekly or Skift websites. Jay, uh, thank you very much. I look for, We look forward to our chat next week, and we will have more airline earnings uh, from around the world. So look forward to that. Yeah, Ned, and I look forward to seeing you at the Aviation Forum in Dallas. I hope uh, listeners can join us as well. We're going to talk about all of these exciting topics that we've been uh, chatting about on the podcast and a lot more. We have some good guests. So, uh, yeah, check it out and uh, come join us. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jay. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.